Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Hi, and welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. Today, we will be talking with my dear friend and fellow audiologist, Dr. Amit Gozalia. Dr. G, as his patients call him, learned about volunteering and giving back at an early age. While in high school, he volunteered at various departments of a local hospital for over four years, which were the foundation of a lifelong passion for giving back. Dr. Gozalia's leadership in audiology began when he volunteered for the Arizona Licensure Committee and quickly learned the struggles of his profession. He became the chair of the Arizona Political Action Committee for Audiology and president of the Arizona Speech-Language Hearing Association in 2006. His leadership and endless energy helped pass contested legislation to advance the profession of audiology in Arizona. He didn't stop there. He and his wife, Charmy, purchased Audiology Clinic, Inc. in Vancouver, Washington, which is just outside of Portland in 2012. Portland and Vancouver gave Amit the opportunity to continue his service and philanthropy. He took part in many organizations in various capacities. He helped start the Pink Lemonade Project, helped grow the Northwest Association of Blind Athletes, Share and Share House, the Children's Center, the Peace Health Foundation, the Cascade Society, the Lions Club, and Fort Vancouver National Trust. From being a board member, committee member, sponsor, server, and even dancer for the local event, Dancing with the Stars, his passion for giving back never faltered. Within five years, he and his wife had scaled their business tremendously and decided to move south for more sun. Two of Dr. Gozalia's mottos he followed over those five years were, if you take care of your patients, the business will come. And they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They sold their businesses in 2017 and moved to Los Angeles, where Dr. Gozalia joined and continues to see patients at West Valley Hearing Center. Dr. Gozalia is board certified by the American Board of Audiology and has served as a board member, chair, and now currently the president of the Audiology Practice Standards Organization and the mentor for the Student Academy of Audiology Liaison for California. He has received many awards, but most special to him are the Audiology Foundation of America's Professional Leadership Award, the Jack Vernon Crystal Award by the American Tinnitus Association, and the A.T. Still Alumni Association Distinguished Service Award. As long as I have known him, Dr. Gozalia will never stop giving back to his community and profession at every turn. Welcome and thank you for joining me. And I'm super excited to have you here. I want people to learn more about you and all the awesome things that you have done. And I remember meeting you for the first time at an expo. And I remember sitting down and we just kind of connected over some of the different philanthropic things that we're both doing. And I love that it's just outside of audiology. And I think that's what 
sort of drew me to you too, because we're both audiologists, but we both also have this drive to give back in other areas. So thank you. This is Dr. Amit Gozalia. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So I want you to start telling my listeners a little bit more about you, but also why you have such a passion to give back to others. Like, where do you think it came from? Sure. That's a great question. And, you know, the thing that I actually consider success is not so much monetary success as much as just personal happiness. And I think when I grew up, the ability to be able to give back was such an important thing. And it started back when I was in elementary school. We used to do little things here and there to volunteer. And, you know, we were kind of forced to do it without understanding. But then once we got into junior high or I got into high school, I started to understand more about it. And my father's a, he's a retired physician now and putting a good word at the hospital. So I volunteered one summer at the hospital and then it became a every day after school, I'd go to the hospice center or I'd go to the other hospital where I'd work in the go volunteer and be in the pre-op or the post-op or, you know, I'd go run around the hospital transporting patients to and from the pre-op and post-op and a couple of other locations throughout the hospital. It was just, it was just kind of a fun, for me, it was fun. And, you know, when I saw these patients who were in the hospital and they don't want to be there, they'd rather be at home just giving that comfort to them and, and the ability to help a young guy. So it was easy for me to go do that. And, you know, there was one patient, I still remember one of my buddies was in town. I, you know, I grew up in Phoenix and this was in Phoenix and he actually lived here in LA and he was visiting to kind of hang out for a few days. And I was like, listen, I got to go work in the hospital real quick for a couple, just give me a couple of hours. And he was like, well, I'll come with you. And I still remember the one patient where patients couldn't feed themselves and I sat there and I was actually spoon feeding this patient. My buddy was sitting there watching me do this. So it was, number one, it was very uncomfortable to do that in front of him. But what ended up happening is it actually inspired him to go and do something. And so when he got back home, he actually started volunteering at different locations as well. And, and we still keep in touch about some of that stuff. I've been blessed to be successful financially where I can actually put some of that money towards helping some of these organizations as well. So going out in the communities, helping blind children, homeless folks, battered women who can't go back home and they need a place to go. It's rewarding personally. It's rewarding professionally. I have yet to do a big hearing loss foundation. That's something that people ask me all the time. Why don't you start a foundation for hearing loss? And sometimes I feel like, yeah, I should. I can set up a 501c3 and get that whole process going. But at the same time, there's there's needs outside of audiology, as you mentioned earlier. For me, to be able to put effort and my energy into helping people hear better, I do on a daily basis here in my clinics. But it's the other stuff where we just don't think about a lot of these things. Like the blind children, you know, they can't exercise. So there's a very high obesity rate for blind kids. Well, so what do we do about it? I helped this young kid up in the Northwest. He's not a young kid anymore. He's a little bit older now, but he started a foundation and he was severely visually impaired where they actually created a sport called goalball. And it's basically like soccer, but everyone sits on the floor and everyone's blindfolded because there's, you know, there's variability in people's vision issues. 
and there's a bell inside the ball. So the ball moves around this court and everybody can hear it. What a good time for an audiologist to be able to use sound as a sense to be able to locate this ball. So these kids are moving around this floor and getting that exercise or sitting on a tandem bike and helping going around town on a tandem bike where the kids can get their exercise or even a dragon boat or you almost can name the sport and we were doing things that help them. I mean, that, that just alone is, is so rewarding that it makes you feel good about yourself and it makes it makes everything else you're doing in your life worthwhile. Absolutely. There is so much outside of audiology and hearing foundations have been created and are running successfully. But if you had like an ideal opportunity to give back, what would be your ideal philanthropic opportunity that you can think of right now? I have a very soft spot for children and not only homeless children, but hungry children. Anytime I see that, it just breaks my heart. So we worked with an organization in the Northwest called SHARE, and it's a capital S-H-A-R-E. Essentially, we develop programs with elementary schools where before the kids would go home on the weekend, they can pick up a backpack that was full of food. So at least over the weekend when they weren't in school where they could receive food, they could go home, take this food, have it, and bring the empty backpack back on Monday morning. So it was called the Backpack Program and made it as inconspicuous as possible in the sense that we didn't want to make a big deal about it. We don't want these kids standing in a line where other kids would know that, hey, Johnny over there is in line because family can't afford to, sure. you know, to have a lot of food. You know, So it was a very seamless program. Luckily, it was a very efficient program. That would be, for me, if we could get rid of childhood hunger, would be the number one on my list. We're looking right now in, in uh, Los Angeles for organizations that support that, especially having a daughter. I can't even imagine if she didn't have access to simply just having food. There are so many, so many other programs that I would love to see childhood cancer, pediatric cancer, you know, those type of medical issues that are just devastating to families because some of those are terminal. Anything to do with children really mm-hmm. is the bottom line. To me, that's that's the uh, that's the trigger for me. Yeah, and it's so funny because it's one of those things where even with you doing the share and share house or the backpack program, right? That it's here in the United States. It's not in another third world country. It's here, right in our backyards. And it's crazy to think that people here in the United States, where we're so blessed, do not have enough to eat to go home or have something for the weekend for the family. It's crazy to think that. It is. And I think that just the knowledge of knowing that almost every public school in the country has this program, and a lot of people don't even realize that it's there is, is unbelievable. So it's one of those things that we tend to donate or help where we can in those situations. It is a very random thing, and you're absolutely correct. In a country like ours, where we can sit here and debate about income equality and things like that, but these Poor kids have nothing to do with that. And so it's, and I don't mean poor kids as financially poor, I meant, you know, these these kids, you know, they're hungry. And it's like, you know, what do you do? You feel terrible just thinking about Saturday afternoon. They're looking for food eating. There's Mm -hmm. nothing around. I mean, it's just devastating. You know, it's funny because I did interview somebody that is in just south of L.A., And her organization is called Hearts Connected for Humanity. And it was the same thing. She was pulled to help 
fill the cupboards of some of these homes that she went to on home visits. And I can connect you to her. She had that same feeling. And I did not know that there was this possibility of having this type of connection or something like this set up at every public school, you said. Yeah, you know, currently, for example, my daughter's public school that she goes to is in a fairly high-income community. And that's not saying that we are wealthy by any means, but we chose who we lived based on that elementary school. And so that school actually does not have a need for that program, but there are schools in the surrounding areas that I know just from, you know, going for walks and running, I can tell just by looking at the homes and the kids that are sitting outside, you, you just get the visual that, yeah, there's probably a need there. And if there's any of the listeners, if their schools are looking for that program, it's a very simple program to set up. And it's not very hard to maintain. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about your daughter. What are some of the things that you've learned about yourself in this process and maybe hope to pass on to your daughter? Or do you already see her kind of picking up on this type of philanthropic heart and urge to give back to others? I think one of the coolest things that we were able to do, and again, I keep talking about the Northwest, so let me give a little background. So I grew up in Phoenix. Uh, Charmy is my wife. Uh, She and I got married in Phoenix, and then a few years later, we moved up to a little town called Vancouver, which is outside of Portland, Oregon. Now, that Vancouver is actually Vancouver, Washington, not Vancouver, Canada. And it's the border city for Washington and Oregon. Well, there were a lot of people in that community who were willing to give back. I mean, they would raise half a million dollars, these galas or evening events, dinners. And so that made it a little bit easier for us because we started getting involved with, you know, we started with one organization and then we met a few people that said, oh, you should come to this event and we'd go to that event. and get ingrained into that organization and then suddenly next you know we're part of five or six different organizations with our daughter she was born five weeks before we moved and so when we moved up to almost her whole life up until about two years ago was growing up in that community and the share house they do multiple things but for us the big thing was the hunger and then we helped out with homeless folks that needed jobs we teach them interviewing skills and some very basic skills and how they can go out in the workplace. Well, they had this program, and it was a very simple program that, hey, we're building this new building, and if you want your name on a brick, we'll charge you this amount, and we'll get your name engraved on a brick. So one of the very first things we taught our daughter, you know, what giving back meant, and then we showed her that, hey, look, we put her name, we have a picture of her kind of squatting right next to the brick that has her name on it. That's not going anywhere. So for her, seeing that, I think, was kind of a neat process for her to see hey, we're doing some good stuff, even though I know she wasn't involved so much, but at least she can see even just the slightest of reward. She's young enough that she doesn't maybe understand 100% of what's going on in the world, but at least something like that, oh, how cool is this that my name is on this brick? And the brick was paid this organization so that that money can be used to help somebody like that backpack program. Yeah. I'm sure she's seen pictures, but has she asked about what is this about if she was so young, you know, that she might not remember? Or maybe if you're back in the area, do you ever feel like you would take her back and just kind of show her that and tell her the story behind it? Absolutely. You know, I've thought about it so many times that anytime we go to Portland, which unfortunately we have no plans to do that, but when the opportunity comes to go back up there to visit or for whatever reason, 
it is the number one thing that we'll do is we'll go over there. We'll actually hit that spot, let her see it again. So she can kind of loop back to maybe some of those ingrained emotions that she may have had when she first saw it, or maybe some thoughts that she had and spark that philanthropic passion, if you will, to do something on her own or, or even have us help her do it. I recently did a talk to a group of physicians and this group of physicians, the group is called Palapio and it's basically physicians who do free surgeries for folks that need the help. So we became members first and they asked me if I'd speak and it's a great organization. Well, we took our daughter to the talk just so she can see, not only hear what I had to say, but to learn more about that organization and how these physicians who are, you know, they're, they're physicians in Beverly Hills and Los Angeles. I mean, they're really very wealthy physicians and they do all these good things to give back to the community. And so she got to see that. But yes, we'd love, if we ever get back up there, that's definitely one of the things I want to show her. In fact, now that you brought that up today, I will remember to <laughs> show her that picture again and see what she says, if it sparks a memory for her. Well, and can you see like the wheels turning? I feel like with my kid, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do is because you know your kids are watching you, right? Can you already see her wheels turning of, projects or things that she might want to get involved in or has she come to you with questions yes kids are so moldable at this young age that it's so good to be able to promote humanitarian work philanthropy whatever you want to call it you know it's so important to get them ingrained with that idea that you know what there's financial success in your life but there's also the success of humanity and the reality is to show these kids to teach them that You can do all these great things, but at the end of the day, it may not mean anything if you haven't done something positive for community. So I can see, because she's a very bright young lady, and, you know, my wife, Charmy, is really a role model for our daughter because they're like sisters. It's so amazing. It's a great thing to watch when they're hanging out. But, you know, they balance ideas off each other, and it's the coolest thing. And you can see that she's getting a whole lot of these ideas on what can I do about this? What can I do about that? And she hasn't actually quite come up to me per se and say, hey, I want to do this thing or I want to do that thing. But she knows that that door is always open where we would 110% support any ideas that she may have to help the community. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, knowing you for even just the short time that I've known you, you've done so many things. I mean, you've seen a need and you've filled it. But not only did you fill it, but you got other people involved and you went like a million times percent ahead. It's not just like a hundred percent. You don't ever do anything a hundred percent of the way you do it like a million percent. So as an entrepreneur, a trailblazer, what helps you decide when and where you'll put your energy? Because energy is a huge thing and you can't keep answering the call either, but I get it. I mean, you get pulled in different directions and your heart just goes out and you just do it. I know that sometimes, well, my brain, and I'm sure your brain works the same way, but sometimes when you just see something, you just kind of go with it and you roll with it and you figure it out later, which is the true explanation of what an entrepreneur is. You just jump and then you figure it out later. But it's the energy part. A lot of people either can watch you, see what you do on social media and think, man, good thing Amit's doing that because I just don't have the energy to do that. So sooner or later, your energy can run out, right? So how do you choose? Do you have some kind of process or do you just kind of go with the gut feeling? How do you choose where to put that energy and what you choose to help out in that time? That's a question I get asked a lot, actually, because even when I was up in the Northwest and I would post things about things I was doing, 
a lot of my friends and colleagues around the country would say, God, I don't know where you have the time to do all this stuff. And I think what I do is I compartmentalize ideas, tasks, and very quickly in my brain, I try to organize it and decide, okay, I'm not a very good detailed person, and I'll explain that in a moment. I'm a very high-level person. If I get an idea, well, this is how I'm going to start it. This is what it's going to take, and this is how I'm going to exit from it if I'm going to exit. And generally, that's my process, and it happens very quickly in my head. So an example, Charmy was the head of a plastic surgery clinic's med spa. And so they had a cosmetic surgeon there, and he had a lot of patients who he was doing reconstructive surgeries for post-breast cancer mastectomies. Well, a lot of people didn't realize that Bill Clinton, our president, had actually signed into law that if they had a mastectomy done, the insurance company, by law, would have to cover this procedure to rebuild. Well, the issue wasn't so much a physical issue as much as the emotional issue of a lot of these, it was mainly women, when they survived breast cancer, because when they were suffering or going through the process, they didn't know what was going to happen. Are they going to pass away? Are they going to have traumatic experiences for the rest of their lives? So we got together and we were just hanging out talking and suddenly he's like, yeah, I want to develop something where we can educate people and do something about these emotional breakdowns that people are having. Because Believe it or not, a lot of these women would go through divorces and you'd hear about suicides and you just survived this traumatic life-changing experience and your life is falling apart in other areas. So we decided to develop this organization and it happened very quickly. And in my head, it was, okay, well, number one, we need money to develop it. So we got somebody that had money. We needed to get the word out. We needed to develop a program. We needed the experts in that. And all of that kind of came together very, very quickly. Now, where's the time commitment? Well, for me, of course, I was charming. I were partners in the business. So it was hard to find a lot of time to make board meetings. And that's where earlier I said I'm not a detailed guy because I rarely made the board meetings. But when I did, I just wanted to get out my ideas and then get out because, you know, I knew that those ideas would at least raise money to help grow this nonprofit. So that organization was called the Pink Lemonade Project. We started with that cosmetic surgeon, myself, this great lady who their family owned banks around Vancouver. So she was our financier. And then we had a CTA to help do all the books. We ended up growing so fast that we hired an executive director and then they ended up hiring a team to manage it. And that's where I needed to depart because that was my exit because there was nothing more I could really add to that organization except, you know, once in a while donate money wherever they needed. So I would get messages from people because I would post about being in the clinic seeing patients till six o'clock at night and then I'd run out to a nonprofit event at seven and then nine o'clock I'm back in the clinic doing, you know, either bookkeeping stuff or finishing my chart notes. But what I do is I just compartmentalize all of those different tasks. And so that way my energy doesn't run out because I'm not devoting a lot of energy towards doing each of these tasks. And maybe I'm not putting forth as much as I probably could. But I think at the end of the day is I also have a family, you know, wife and daughter who I love spending time with. So I have to be mindful of how much energy and time. If I'm putting all this time towards something, how much time is left over for family? One of the good things is that my wife's daughter, they actually have times where they're busy as well. You know, Charm is a very successful real estate agent. And when she gets going with her stuff, 
I know that's time that I can do my stuff. And when our daughter, she recognizes that she gets on her computer, she starts doing her homework or studying or whatever she needs to do. And that's the time that I put forth as much energy and try to get through it as efficiently as possible. Here's something you might not know. NOCO FM is also a podcast network producing one-of-a-kind programming like the show you're enjoying right now. We have talk shows, original comedy, music shows curated by real people, and a lot more. So if you like what you're hearing, make NOCO FM a part of your day and tell your friends. Remember, that's www.noco.fm. What I'm hearing you say, too, is that you've done really well in galvanizing the people that have to surround the project and then let them take care of what they need to take care of. It's almost like you gather the people that are good at what they do and then you get out of the way. That is a hundred percent. That's a million percent correct. Okay, my math is so bad that I'm going to say it's a million percent. (laughs) Because the reality is, number one, I can't do everything. Number two. Even if I could do everything, if I could do everything, I'm not the best person at each of those tasks. So what we do is we find the people who are good at those tasks. Now, I know that I could have funded the Pink Lemonade Project myself. I know the cosmetic surgeon, he could have done it himself. But, you know, we were putting finances in other places. So we didn't want to do that. Well, we're also not executive directors. I mean, the reality is I did not have the energy to sit through a board meeting where we have to go through Robert's Rules of Order. I just... It's one of my pet peeves, getting into a meeting and following these guidelines. And I I do it, so don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm part of a couple of organizations right now within audiology where we have to do that, and that's fine. But I like getting the big picture ideas and then letting the people that know what they're doing do what they do. I follow that mantra, if you will, even here in our office. I know that if somebody calls our clinic and nobody's there to answer the phone, if I answer it, we're in big trouble because I'm not the best person to take that call. Our staff, they're trained to do it. When I go into QuickBooks, I don't touch anything in our QuickBooks because I know that we have the best person doing it. I don't need to interfere and get involved in what she's doing, et cetera, et cetera. So you're right. We find people who know what they're doing. We motivate them, get them to do the task correctly, leave them be. I am an anti-micromanaging person. Let the people do what they do best. And hopefully if everything goes smoothly, that'll all equal success. And then slowly I can kind of back out of it knowing that, hey, we created something. It's grown tremendously. It's doing fantastic. I don't have to be involved in it. And I think that's huge. I mean, I think that's a sign of maturity, but I also think that's huge in business success because it is allowing other people to succeed as well. And if you have hired the right people, you should be able to walk away and allow them to do their job. I'm hoping everybody gets that out of this because it's not just about having the idea and yes, it's mine and I'm the only one that has the vision. You teach your people to have that same vision, to do what they do well. And you just said something really important too, that you motivate them too, right? And you thank them and you're very grateful too for the people that have helped out on some of your teams as well. So that's huge in anything, whether it's philanthropy or business, or anything else that you're being involved in. So that is a huge help for passing on to people how you can take that energy and just focus where you need to focus it. So I love it. Thank you. 
Yeah, I think, you know, just to add one more thing to it, and you said the word maturity, and it just, this light bulb just went off that you're absolutely correct, because the reality is 10 years ago when we bought that private practice up in Vancouver, the reality is I think the ego or this idea that I can do everything, it was good that my wife, Charmy, was able to help me understand that, you know what, I don't have to be the one doing every single task. I don't have to answer the phones, for example. I don't have to deal with some of the minor issues that the front office staff may be having. They can figure it out. I don't have to intervene and be that person. And I think I take that to a greater spectrum, if you will, even in our profession, where for a long time, and I know people who are in audiology will laugh when I say this, I really wanted to be that person that everyone knew and wanted to talk to, and I wanted to be president of our national organization, and maybe for the wrong reason. And I think as I've matured, I've realized that, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to be in that position, and I don't need that anymore in my life. And I think that maturity, and I have a long ways to go, don't get me wrong, I know we're close to perfect, but a lot of people will agree with that statement. But the idea is that I think that ego and that narcissism I've kind of matured out of that. Well, which is so funny that you say that too, though, because even though that's your point of view and that you've worked through it, it's funny because when you do things for the right reasons, you do get noticed for the right reasons too. So like when I look at you in our field, even though you have the feeling of, yeah, I don't need to be in the limelight anymore. I don't need to have that. I don't need to do everything. You kind of are but in a different way. And I don't know if you see that either, but I definitely see it. You know, I see you as definitely a leader, a trailblazer, but for the right reasons and always generating conversations that will stimulate people to think about different things and talk about different things. Not to make a hype around it to get people all riled up, but we have to always have conversations that might be awkward or might be hard to have or might be uncomfortable in anything. And I just feel like you're one of those people that can galvanize people to have these conversations openly and discuss things professionally and at a mature level. So even though it's a different outlook, maybe for you, I feel like you've still risen in a different way. You know, I do this video series, which I know you know about, and it's called Conversations with Dr. Gosali. I'm not good on camera, and I know people tell me, oh, you're okay. The reality is I get super nervous when my camera turns on. So if I had it my way, I probably would not be the one on camera. However, I started this series, number one, to kind of get over that fear a little bit of being on camera. But the reality is I'm doing that series more to highlight what these other doctors and other professionals, actually, I'm going to be expanding it after the first season here, but we're highlighting some of those folks in our profession who are financially successful, or they're just starting in our profession, or they've retired, or whatever position they're in, but really talk about what motivates them, what gets them going, and basically using that knowledge from them to help motivate somebody else. And I think that's kind of the angle where I come from. I did that before in a series called Barstool Confessional. You know, I would highlight some of the leaders in our profession and have them talk to us about their history, how they got to where they are, what should we be doing, what should we be watching out for, where is the future of our profession, things like that. And some of those conversations, you're right, some of them aren't the easiest ones to discuss. But if nobody's discussing it, then people are talking about it in the back rooms and not really putting it up in the forefront. So 
you're right. Sometimes I do maybe put my foot in my mouth, but I do it so we can encourage some of those conversations to hopefully better the situation or help us grow in either a profession or when I talk about philanthropy, motivate somebody to go join one nonprofit organization or go volunteer at least one place, do at least something. And hopefully that message is getting across to the people who watch. So tell us a little bit more about where people can learn more about you. I will have some of these things in the show notes, but your show, Conversations with Dr. Gozalia, and maybe get involved with what you're doing or even book you for speaking opportunities. What kinds of things are you looking for to kind of help get your message and some of these other things that you're doing out there? Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. First, I have a website. It's called drgosalia.com, and that's B-R-G-O-S-A-L-I-A.com. I've essentially just created that site more for information. As you mentioned, and I said earlier, I'm involved in a lot of different things. So there are a lot of tabs up at the top. One of them is a fitness page on Facebook, which Natalie, you're an admin for along with Ashley Hughes. Without you guys, that page wouldn't be where it is. So I appreciate that. So I have a page on my website just for that. We have another page where we're hosting a conference in October for private practice and other audiologists around the country. So we have a page about that on there. You know, I'm actually working on a page just for philanthropic endeavors and how somebody can become more philanthropic in their community. You know, again, I use the word philanthropic, but humanitarian, altruistic, whatever term you want to use. But, you know, I want to put some information there, which I'm working on currently. In terms of speaking, I do speak a lot. I speak in the audiology community quite a bit. I speak here locally. In terms of speaking engagement, I've been invited a couple of times to non-audiology related motivational talks, which I'll be sharing shortly. I like getting that message across that we can do more and still be successful financially while helping our community. And I think there's a way to do that. There's a good balance. And I think everybody can do that if you just put a little bit of effort. And that's pretty much what I talk about when I do these motivational talks. You know, I'm not your standard motivational speaker where I go there and try to tell you to be better and read these books. I'm not a very good book reader. I'd rather listen to podcasts or YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube videos and purposeful videos and stuff like that. And I'd rather get that message across and then teach somebody how to do it instead of, hey, you should go do this. Well, I'd like to talk about the steps. And these are the small things you can do in your community. I just helped somebody recently. And it was just simple looking up in their community, which nonprofits are out there and which ones this person would be interested in helping. I actually just looked it up. It was very simple for me because I knew the key words. And sure enough, now she's on the committee for one. That's great. You know, that's the way to do it. And so, yeah, if anybody's interested in that, there's a link on my website where you can reach out to me about that. Everything's based on the website. You know, as an audiologist, our clinic is in Woodland Hills in Los Angeles, and that's West Valley Hearing Center. So if people have hearing or balance disorders or ringing the ears, they can visit us there. And I have one last question for you. What is one piece of advice that you can share with our listeners on how to make the world a better place? It doesn't take much. All you have to do is find that one passion that you have. For example, for me, it's helping kids. If you can find that passion, whether it's breast cancer, whether it's Parkinson's or dementia or 
anything not health-related, if it's homelessness or, you know, hunger, you find the thing that you're passionate about, it doesn't take a lot. Just a little bit goes a long way. And it doesn't mean that you have to spend all your money. You can do this via volunteering. You can motivate others. And if you get more people involved, and if you tell five people about this organization, and they feel the same way you do, and they tell five people about that organization, it just grows. And it grows in such a huge way and in such a fast way that now your community is better off. So my message, I guess, or the one thing is find that passion. It doesn't take a lot of work. It doesn't take a lot of effort. But do something. Don't just not do anything. And don't be shy about it. The reality is all you have to do is ask, and nobody would ever say no. Oh my gosh, I love that. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World and thank you, NOCO FM, for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of NoCo FM.